Go to the Lord in prayer. Father, God, we thank you so much, Father, for who you are. We thank you for how wonderful you are, Lord, that you are a mighty fortress, that you fight for us, God, that you are so worthy of praise. And Lord, as we come to you this morning in worship, we pray that you receive our worship. We thank you that you've been receiving our worship in Christ. And Father, as we consider things this morning that are mysterious, that are deep things, Lord, um, I just pray that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, open hearts to receive what you have for us, and Lord, also give me wisdom on how to navigate these things, and I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So this is the last of our Advent sermons in our church in the series that we've been going through, which is interesting because Advent has long passed us, uh, but uh, it's appropriate, I think, because Advent is leading up to the birth of Christ, and so the passage today has to do with actually things that are after the birth of Christ, and so... The text is Luke 2, verse 21 to 40, so I'll give you a second to turn there if you haven't already. And so, this passage shows us, um, this shows us the way that Jesus came into the world as a baby, and that all the laws, the Jewish laws that were required of him, like circumcision and others, were fulfilled. It also talks about, um, it talks about his family and his interaction with Simeon and Anna, two faithful Israelites. And uh, it's really important to notice that this is a unique passage. This is not recorded anywhere else in the Gospels for us. It gives us really important insight into Jesus' life. And so let's read the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. 
And she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon them. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So, this might come as a shock to some of you guys, but the Bible clearly teaches us that we are not all born as true children of God. We are not all born as true children of God. Right? Because in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, he tells us that by believing in Jesus, we receive the right to become children of God. Okay? So you don't need the right to become something that you're born as. Okay? So we, we become children of God truly in this life. And there's a way that that can happen. But the truth is, unless your name is Adam, and that is before the fall, or unless your name is Jesus in the manger, then you're not born as a true, full child of God. Now, that's shocking, I know, to some people, but the fact is we've got to clarify that a little bit. So there is a certain sense in which we are all children of God, okay? A certain sense, because he created us all, right? So we all belong to him, and so he can do with us what he wills, and we belong to him and such. But there's another sense in which we're all born in sin. We're all born in Adam, we're born in sin, which means we're estranged from God. You've heard of an estranged relationship, but we're estranged from God. So we're not in his family, truly. We're not truly rooted, adopted in the family of God. And so this actually brings us to the big kind of like dilemma or one of the big issues that's solved at Christmas time is that God has made a way to have a relationship, to make a family with sinners like us. He's made a way to establish a God-glorifying family on this earth. He's made a way that he as the triune God could come to earth and establish a relationship with people like us, right? People like us who actually are not born in his family and people who don't deserve to be counted as his family members, but yet he still made this way and made a way for, for us. The good news is that we can be adopted because of Jesus Christ. We can be adopted because we can be counted as brothers and sisters of the Son of God, right? He's the Son of God. The Father sees the Son as his very own Son. And because we're adopted through Jesus Christ, we then receive that status. We receive a Father looking at us as if we're his own children. And this is all because of the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And so, when it comes to this doctrine of being adopted into the family of God, Paul gives us a beautiful statement. It's kind of famous around Christmas time, but he gives us a beautiful statement. And it's kind of the basis of the sermon this morning as we unpack this passage from Luke. It says in Galatians 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
that we might receive adoption as sons. That we might receive adoption as sons. And so this morning I want to move uh, through this Luke passage as we unpack this passage that Paul just stated. And I want to explain this, this process of how we can be adopted as sons because of what this passage shows us about Jesus Christ. And so the passage shows us that we can be adopted as sons and daughters. We can be adopted as sons and daughters, firstly, because Jesus completes God's story. Jesus completes God's story. So notice the way that Paul starts the Galatians passage out. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. So other translations say, When the time came to completion, God sent forth his Son. And so when I said that Jesus completes God's story, we need to understand kind of what I mean when I'm saying God's story. So when Paul's talking about time here, when Paul says that the fullness of time had come, what he's really saying is that the unfolding of God's story is everything that had happened up to this time. Understand what I'm saying? He's saying all of history, okay, every single event up to that point, everything that had happened prior to this moment when Jesus is revealed, when the fullness of time had come, was part of God's self-revealing story. That's really what history is. As Christians, we see history as God showing himself in creation, and God showing himself in all the things that exist, in all the things that happen. So when we move through the Bible, and when we move through every single era, every single epoch, every single thing that ever happened in time, what we're really doing is we're seeing God showing himself in his story to us. Okay, so it's not only like other stories. It's not just a story that's made up or written on pages of a book somewhere, which it is written on the pages of a book in our scriptures, but it's also written in the pages of everything that we see, everything that exists, everything that is around us. It's written in reality. That's the story of God is written everywhere. And so when he talks about the fullness or the completion of the time, when Paul says that in Galatians 4, Paul is really saying that when the most important, most God-revealing, most um, epic, earth-shaking moment in the history of all time had come, when the most hope-giving circumstance possible had come, God sent His Son at that moment that the story of God reached its climax. In other words, all that ever was and all that ever will be have been orchestrated by God to lead to this moment when God would send His Son into the world. So in this passage, we get the privilege of seeing God's story and lots of aspects hinted at of God's story here by, um, by the, by the uh, writer Luke. And so let's look at the way that Simeon and Anna speak of God's story, of Jesus fulfilling God's story. In verse 25, uh, it talks about Simeon and it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then if we go to Anna in verse 38, it says, And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. You see here, Simeon said, 
He's waiting for and he's looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And Anna is waiting for and proclaiming and is excited about the fact that there is hope for those in Jerusalem. There's redemption for those in Jerusalem. So we see that Jesus in this passage is portrayed as the great hope, the great final fulfillment and the final realization of everything that Israel had always been waiting for, everything they'd always been longing for throughout their whole history. That day had actually arrived here when those two old Israelites saw Jesus that day. So earlier in Luke, um, in the song of Zacharias that we were, were uh, hearing about earlier in the series, uh, the, Jesus is described as the great king from the house of David. He's also described as the promise that was given to Abraham. And he's also described as the one of whom the prophets spoke. It says, in ancient times, and it also says in some translations, since the world began. Right? So this whole story of God, this whole um, expectation of who Jesus was, was coming for many centuries because he was the better David. He was the better Abraham. He was the promise to Abraham. He was the one that everyone had been writing about and hoping for up till that time. Everything that Israel had always been longing for. Everything that actually all of humankind had been longing for. But he was their consolation. So I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of an Old Testament saint like Anna or Simeon for a minute, okay? Think about what their experience was. They had read the prophecies of Isaiah. They had read the prophecies in Genesis. They had read the stories about the promises to David. They knew these things and they knew them better than we do. Way better than we do. They obsessed about the scriptures and they studied them in and out. It says Anna was in there fasting and praying day and night. You don't think she knew these things. And so we put ourselves in their shoes for a second. And it's for over a thousand years, they were always hoping for the next child that was born in Israel to be their savior, to be their Messiah. For over a thousand years, they were always hoping for the promises of God to come true. And the interesting thing, when, when over a thousand years have passed, you know what happens? You start to wonder, like, are these promises too good to be true? Are they really going to come? Is this day ever actually going to happen for us? Over a thousand years, they were always hoping to have a land, a place to call home that was free of all violence and hatred and plague and famine and disease. And they were for over a thousand years always hoping for a perfect and unhindered place where they could worship God, where there would be no, no idolatry, there would be nothing wicked, everything would be perfect and in place. For over a thousand years, they were always hoping to be set free from their enemies, constantly berated by enemies from every angle, from every country around them. And then they constantly, for a thousand years, were hoping and begging for someone to come and save them from their worst enemy, that is their sin. For, a thousand, for over a thousand years, they were languishing in sin, having to offer sacrifices, and do all of, these, all of these things in the law of God that pointed to this one day in the year one when Anna and Simeon got to behold the consolation of Israel. The consolation of everything Israel had ever been hoping for. An amazing thing here is that it's not just the consolation of Israel. Like I mentioned earlier, Simeon also says... This was a salvation that was prepared before the face of all people, 
and light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. You see that in verse, um, verse 31 to 32. You have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So this consolation has come to Israel. Finally, these people can rejoice and see that the consolation has arrived. But not only that, they can also now say, wow, the consolation of everything for the whole universe, for the whole world, that all of history has been pointing towards has come. And a really awesome thing about this is that we actually get to know who this consolation is. Right? He's, not just, he's not just an idea, he's not just a concept. He's not a geopolitical event, he's not a technological development, he's not a political party that could come and save us. He's a person, okay? He's a person. And his name is Jesus. But look with me at verse 21. It says, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. He is Jesus, and he's a man. He's a person. He's a baby. So don't miss this fact. Don't miss the fact that his name is Jesus. It's so easy for us to miss this. It's so easy for us to miss the fact that he's a person. And that's because his name has become so commonplace to us. Right? We're going around in our life and we just talk about Jesus all the time. We don't often stop and think, what does his name mean? What does it mean that he's Jesus? That he's the one who came for us? In fact, some people, hopefully not, none of you guys, but some people use his name as a curse word. Some people use his name as a joke. But I'm here to tell you this morning that this name speaks of the one who is the very reason that any of us exist. He is the reason that any of us exist. His name is the one name that when the fullness of time had come, and when the great story of God had reached its focal point, that God revealed this name, and this main character. And his name means, the Lord saves. Okay? So what I'm trying to tell you is this. All of history has, have, has come up to this point. The fullness of time has come. Everything that had been created up to that point had been created up to that point. And everything that had occurred in this story had happened up to this point. And the main point of the story is the Lord saves. The Lord saves, brothers and sisters. So it has always and only ever been because the Lord exists and that the Lord is a Lord who saves that any of us can be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Only and always ever. That by birth, no. But by new birth, as children of God, we can be adopted. And so we've seen that we can be adopted as sons and daughters of God because Jesus completes God's story. That we can also see now that we can be adopted as sons and daughters because Jesus experienced a normal human life. Jesus experienced a normal human life. So I want to qualify the statement normal to some degree because obviously there are some things about his life that were quite exceptional. But in some sense we can speak of it as normal. So now we move back to our Galatians passage that Paul wrote. And there it says, When the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth His Son and says, born of a woman. Born of a woman. So it's again important that we look closely at the details of Scripture and see Jesus was born of a woman. This phrase is so important because, at least for me, it's very easy when I'm thinking about theology or when I'm thinking about God, it's very easy for me to make God so high and so elevated and so distant from me. And that's true. He is transcendent and He is high and mighty. But it's very difficult sometimes for me to think that He, he became a child. He became a man. He became flesh and blood. Like you can look at your hands now and you can see that's the same kind of stuff that Jesus was. Like he, he lived and is that. Okay? We need to understand that when we're studying scripture and theology that it can all become like very elevated in our heads. And it can become easy for us to forget that Jesus was a real baby that laid in a real manger that had real difficulties. He had a real family who had real brothers and sisters just like us, some of us. He had real temptations and real struggles and he had real pain. He had all those things. So easy for us to forget this. So one of the reasons that Paul inserts the line born of a woman is to show us the humanity of Jesus. Jesus did not come to earth as a mere spirit. He did not come to earth as an alien or something completely different than us. He came in flesh and blood. He came and he lived and he breathed the way that you and I breathe. He came and he had the same bodily functions that you and I have. And I, for one, am really thankful for what Luke has here for us today. Because I'm really thankful that he's included some down-to-earth details of Jesus' life, his normal human life. And he can show us how Jesus relates to us in our normal human life too because he becomes our means of being adopted by God through his incarnation, through his human life. The thing we have to keep in mind too is that we often get very tunnel vision when we think of Jesus in his human life. So we only think about his crucifixion maybe, his death, his resurrection, some very key moments. And I think Scripture does focus on those moments. I think those are the most important moments, and I don't want to take away from that at all. But also, we, we can often glaze over these other moments, these other aspects of his life where we learn quite a lot about him. And it's very important not to skip over these things when we have a chance, because there's not that many chances to look at these things in Scripture, really. But they're noted here for a reason, and so we should pay attention. And there's many things we can say. I'm sure I could explore this for hours, and there's many books written on the topic. But I'm going to just touch on a few things that we can pull from the passage today that show us this aspect that Jesus lived a normal human life. And so the first one is that Jesus experienced the hope, helplessness and vulnerability of a normal human life. Jesus experienced helplessness and vulnerability of a normal human life. So in verse 21, we saw that he was on the eighth day. He was an eight-day-old infant. We see Simeon at one point picking him up and holding him in his hands like this, like a little baby, right? And so those of you who have babies, or who have had a baby, or who just know anything pretty much, actually, <laughs> just about life, know how like helpless and vulnerable a human baby really is, right? It's actually probably one of the most helpless and vulnerable things that there are in the world. If you think about it, a lot of animals that God created 
They can run around and jump and live life within a few hours of being born. But human babies, like, they, they can't even fend for themselves after multiple years of life. It takes a really long time for a baby to be anything but completely helpless and vulnerable and at the mercy of everyone and anyone around it. And that's the state that Jesus was in. That's a human. That's a human, helpless and vulnerable. And so this seems like kind of an obvious point to us. I don't want to belabor it too hard, but... Let's just notice what kind of humility that is. What kind of unbelievable humility that is that the very God of very God who created all things would at one point condescend to being a little, vulnerable, helpless baby. And so this should be a tremendous encouragement to us, really, if we think about it. Because really, what are we as humans but vulnerable and helpless creatures? And we're not more than that. If you think you are, you're fooling yourself. We as, we as finite human beings are just vulnerable and helpless creatures. But you should be encouraged to know that Jesus does not look at you in that state of vulnerability and helplessness and scoff at you like other people might do. And he doesn't uh, call you names or laugh at you because you're so vulnerable and weak. In fact, what he does very surprising. He can actually relate to you. He can relate to you. Because he was a baby. He was a vulnerable, helpless baby. So Jesus actually knows what it's like to be in a state of need and dependence. And so rather than look down on you, he consoles you. And rather than laugh at you, he supplies you with all the resources you need, all the energy you need. Everything that you need comes from him. Because he's, he's their supplier and he understands what it's like to be in that state. And in line with Richard's Sunday school this morning, God obviously already knew what that was like. But he's showing us here a picture. He's showing us a picture of his grace and his humility. The next thing we see from the passage is that Jesus experienced the poverty and neediness of normal human life. Let's look at verse 23 to 24. There it says... As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So you'll remember that earlier Hal read the passage from Leviticus, right? And so that passage actually said, it said there very clearly, if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she should instead bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the only thing that would have prevented Jesus' parents from bringing a lamb would be the fact that they're either too poor to afford one or they're too poor to have raised one, which means they're very poor. A lamb, they could not. They could not afford to raise or buy a lamb. Jesus was a poor person, and this is a matter of fact. It's just a matter of historical fact. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, was a poor, ordinary man. So notice that the Son of God, the King of Kings, the very God of very God, did not come to earth to live in palaces, to enrich himself, to uh, establish a worldly kingdom. Instead, he came as a poor man to serve poor people like us, to serve sinners and to die for us. And so is it any wonder then that God um, has such a heart for poor and needy people? 
Is that a surprise to us then? Is it any wonder that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit? Is it any wonder then that Jesus says, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall be having treasure in heaven, right? In other words, he's saying, be like me, as I, as I came and I dwell in poverty, and I'm that humble, and so we need to give and be, and be humble in that respect. And so, brother and sister, whatever your needs may be in life, whatever your poverty or whatever your situation might be, Jesus Christ has been there and he can actually relate to you in it. That is a comfort to us. Don't just think about these things that are too high in the sky. Think about Jesus, the Son of God, living in real poverty and neediness and hardship. And so this is the final one I'll pull out from the passage, and that is that Jesus experienced the ignorance of normal human life. And I'm going to say that with a lot of qualification. Okay, we think of ignorance as we think of ignorance as a sinful thing, like an ethical thing. But the dictionary says when you talk about ignorance, it just says as a lack of knowledge or education. Okay, so this is a mind-blowing concept, right? That the God-man could actually have needed to learn things in his life. And I don't want to say anything more than what we can deduce plainly from Scripture. I don't want to go any farther because I don't understand. Okay? That's why. Because I just don't know. But if we look at verse 40, look there with me. It says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So some other translations actually say that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. He grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. So we can absolutely say that he experienced a lack of knowledge to whatever extent he did. And he had to learn things and grow and, and go to school. And he had to go to the synagogue to be taught the scriptures. And he had to read them and understand them. And the reason I want to bring this out is, again, not to get into some really finer details of, of the things that we're talking about in Sunday school, but it's just to say this. This can be an actual encouragement to us. This can be an encouragement to people. I've talked to some of you, and I know some of you, and some of you overthink things a lot. Some of you struggle a lot in your mind, a lot in the fact that you, you know you need to know more. You know there's a lot more to know. But you're constantly burdened and let down by the fact that you don't know everything that you wish you could. You don't know the answers. And sometimes it's not intellectual things, as a lot of people here it is. But it's not always that. It's a lot of times just, just ordinary life, the things that cause anxieties, the future uncertainties, the things you didn't know. Okay, so Jesus Christ is born as a man, and he has to grow and learn things. And this is beautiful to know. Because the fact is, he faced the same kinds of uncertainties and stressors and information that we face in many respects, and yet he did so without ever being anxious one time. He did so without ever doubting God's goodness. He did so without ever turning to sin as a coping mechanism. Not one time. We see that it's because Jesus went through this and that he did it in such a faithful way that he is able to serve as our substitute, that we're able to be adopted into the family of God. And so when we deal with these kinds of discouragements or when we deal with these types of things in our minds, 
and our, and our lack of understanding. Let's be like Jesus. Let us pray that the Spirit would come and fill us with wisdom and that the grace of God would be upon us to give us the humility and the grace that we need to be able to move in, to move forward in life, because that's really what we need. We need grace. We need, we need mercy. And all of that is only possible because Jesus is our bigger brother, because he died, because he lived this perfectly and suffered on our behalf. And so, so far in this section, we've seen that Jesus lived a normal life. We've seen his helplessness and vulnerability and his neediness and poverty, his lack of knowledge and understanding. And we see that he can relate to us as our older brother and our mediator. He experienced the ordinary, the mundane difficulties of human life, just like we do. And so we've seen that we can be adopted as sons and daughters because Jesus completes God's story and because he experienced normal human life. So now let's see that we can be adopted as sons and daughters because Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Let's look again at our Galatians passage. It says, Paul writes in Galatians 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. That we might receive adoption as sons. Let's read verse 39 together. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. This is clearly a statement that in his early days of his life, Jesus fulfilled everything that was required of him by the law of God, okay? That includes that he was circumcised on the eighth day. That includes that he uh, participated in this offering of the first form, that he uh, did everything that the law of God required of him. And, if, and, and in case you think this isn't one of the, if not the most clear point of this passage, five times in this 20 verses it tells you that he completed Something according to the law of Moses, according to the custom of the law. And then at the end, it wraps it up with our verse there, 39. It says, it says, all things were performed according to the law. So Luke is clearly trying to make a very, uh, very forceful point with us here. He's trying to make sure we don't miss this fact. So in these 41 days of his life, up to this point that we see so far, Jesus has been put providentially in a family where his parents even helped him to obey those first few laws that he couldn't obviously obey himself. He could not circumcise himself. He could not do all those things. But those were all things that needed to happen to him for him to be our substitute, for him to serve as our brother, to bring us into communion with God, to bring us into the family of God. He did everything ceremonially, he did everything judicially. He did everything morally in accordance with the Ten Commandments. Every single thing in his whole entire life, not at one single moment ever, I mentioned this in his thought life, but ever in any area of his life did he ever violate a single ounce of the law of God. Not even once. And so it's fitting then that when we think about the death of Jesus, it's very interesting to think about this. Did Jesus die in an accident? No, he didn't die in an accident. Did he die from disease and sickness? 
No, he didn't die in a disease or in a sickness. He died as one who was wrongly sentenced in a court of law, even though he was perfect in every single way. He died as one wrongly sentenced in a court of law. That's no coincidence, because he's the one who fulfills the law on our behalf. It says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So we see that he not only lived a perfect life and perfectly fulfilled the law, but he also died a fitting death as one who fulfilled the law for us. And in this way we see that Christ becomes the ultimate Adam. Right? Because what was God's statement to Adam? To Adam he said, if you perfectly obey me, you'll have life. Jesus becomes the perfect Israelite person. Why? Because God told them, if you'll obey my law perfectly, you'll have life. You'll have eternal life and everything will go well with you. Obviously that one wasn't as possible or... Anyways, don't get into that, but for Adam. But this goes back again to what I said about the great story of God, right? We see that Jesus is fulfilling everything we've ever longed for, everything we've ever needed. And so where everyone else failed miserably, Jesus fully succeeded in every single way possible. And it's because he kept the whole law, and because he kept it perfectly, that he can be our perfect, righteous, and God-honoring big brother. It's that he can be the one who actually allows it to be possible to be adopted by God, to be brought into the family of God, and to have everlasting life. Right? We can have everlasting life because of this. And so in conclusion, we've now seen it, right? We can see that we can be adopted as sons and daughters because Jesus completes God's story, because Jesus experienced a normal human life, and because Jesus fulfilled God's law. And now let's look at how we're supposed to respond to these realities. How are we supposed to consider and respond to these mind-blowing realities that we studied this morning? And one way that we can do that is we can look at Simeon. And we could look at Anna. We could look at the way that their life actually was dedicated to God. It says, they understood that Jesus was the consolation of Israel, right? They understood that he was the hope and the salvation of Jerusalem. And both of them lived their life completely sold out and dedicated to that Savior. To Jesus, the one who saves. Let's look at verse 34 to 35. Because this shows us that uh, the thing that they realized about Jesus, the thing that, that really we need to pay attention to, they said, For then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So, Anna and Simeon both looked at Jesus as the ultimate thing, the ultimate sign, the ultimate final, um, the ultimate final event. And they looked at him and they realized something important that I don't want us to miss today. And that is that Jesus is the ultimate decider whether we fall or whether we fall or whether we rise with him. And he, he died on the cross. Anyone who's in him will rise. Anyone who puts their eyes on him and trusts in him will rise. Anyone who does not will fall. 
And these people responded by keeping their eyes on him. Simeon said, Simeon said that he actually did not consider anything else in his life to be like really a big deal anymore. Okay? He waited all these years to see Jesus. And after that, what does he do? He literally says, okay, God, it's fine now. I don't need to see anything else. Because he's seen the one and only the greatest thing he could possibly ever see. And for Anna, we notice that every single day of the year is Christmas for her. You get that? She's literally, every day is Christmas. She sees the temple and worshiping, praying, and serving God as the only thing worth doing. That's what she does for her whole living. That's what her whole life is revolving around. And so we need to be like this, brothers and sisters. We need to understand the gravity of this. Like if, if telling the story and seeing Jesus in his normal human life and seeing just all these ways that he fulfilled the law of God does not make you love him, does not make you want to serve him. Well, then I don't know what will, but I know that for those who are in Christ who have the Holy Spirit, that I know that this does stir us up. This does stir us up to a life of commitment. This stirs us up to want to serve Him. And so let's faithfully wait on God's second coming. Because what? Because we're not in that much different of a situation than Anna and Simeon were. Okay? So they were waiting for His first one, and we're not in that much of a different situation now because we're just waiting for His second coming. We know who Jesus is. He's the one who saves. We know the good news. We can proclaim it to others. And if you don't know, come to Him. Come to Him now. Because we're already in the, the final ages of history. We're in the final ages of this history because when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So let's come to Him. Let's receive adoption as sons. And if we're in Christ, let's live expectantly, excitedly, knowing that His, His return could be at any moment. So let us pray. Father God, we thank You so much, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you so much, Lord, for Father, for the fact that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sin. To give us hope in a world where there's so much longing, so much confusion, so much hurting, so much struggling, so much suffering. To give us hope in the midst of the fact that our sin <coughs> has brought us to a point of guilt before a holy God. We don't deserve anything. But let us live every single day, every day faithfully and joyfully waiting for your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen.